welcome to the Friends Romans Iowans podcast. We are a young adult podcast produced by the Diocese of Des Moines and Iowa Catholic Radio. I'm your host, Alex Kautsky. And I'm your host, Maddie Maher. Thank you for joining us again to our show, which is dedicated to hosting tabletop conversations with Catholics around the diocese. Today, we would like to welcome Father Kyle Digman to our show. Father Kyle is the pastor of St. Thomas Aquinas in Ames, Iowa, which is where Iowa State University is. Father Kyle, thank you for making the drive down to Des Moines to join us. Thank you, Maddie. It's good to be here. Yeah. It's good to have you. Um, yeah, come into the big city today, huh? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I'm from Montana, and when I moved here, I couldn't believe that Ames wasn't in the diocese. Yeah. Um, I visited, I've been there once, and I, I'm obsessed with Ames. It's a great place to be, so thanks for coming down. It's right on the corner of the Archdiocese of Duke, so it's barely like two miles west of my house is the Diocese of Sioux City, and then Ankeny, Elkport, a few places like that are like right in the Des Moines Diocese. So anyway. No, it's really interesting. So we, um, I am the director at a Catholic youth camp. Yep. And we, it's like there's a wall around the diocese. All the kids in the diocese know about CYC. And then we went to Ames last year and they're like, we've never heard of it. I'm like, <laughs> you're literally 20 miles away. So we're happy to have you here and have you in the diocese. Um, and we got a lot to chat about. Mm-hmm. So, Father, um, the people listening cannot see you, mm-hmm. but you're a young priest. Right. Um, when were you <laughs> ordained? I was ordained in 2014, so a little over six years ago, just okay. barely. Awesome. And would you mind sharing with us a little bit about what brought you into the priesthood? Yeah, it's kind of a long story, but okay. I'll give you the short version. <laughs> Perfect. That'd be great. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So, like, it's a million little things, right? Like, a vocation of anything is falling in love, whether it's with a spouse or with Christ in the church that you give your life to. So I think especially as a priest, it was a process of falling in love. So it was a million little things that no like one thing is like, okay, boom, that's it. This is, you know, this is going to happen. But there were pivotal moments that I can look back at and say, huh, that probably made a really big difference in my whole vocational discernment. So let's go back to when I want to hear that. I was like, I hope you're not done telling us. (laughs) So I think the biggest thing, like so many vocations, my family was a huge part of the vocation. I think that's Mm -hmm. true with every vocation. But when I think about my family, it sort of led to my vocation in a very different way. So it was really through like the brokenness and messiness of my family growing up in a very beautiful way that God used that in, in some awesome, in some awesome ways. So, um, let's start <laughs> with the main pivotal moment. Yeah. When I was seven, my parents separated, they got divorced. And so at seven years old, like I don't really, I'm not really processing anything. Sure. Um, I just was playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and my parents are like, Hey, we're getting a divorce. I'm like, great. I'm going to go back to playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah. Very and, seven of you. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So just didn't kind of know what was going on. Yeah. So mom and dad, of course, go through a difficult time. They're divorced. They don't really know what to do. So they're questioning things in their life. Uh I don't really know that because I'm seven years old. Mm -hmm. But I do watch them going through this process. Um, On one side, I saw my mom, who has always struggled with her faith, and she continued to struggle even more so. Um, So she tried to find happiness after the divorce, and she really kind of tried to find it in a lot of um, worldly ways, um, getting married again, trying to find a career that's going to make her happy or support or success. And she never really found happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and she never really turned to Christ. She's doing a lot better now. She keeps striving more, but at that time she didn't. So what she found was just emptiness in those endeavors yeah. and pain and depression, anxiety in life. Um, and what she was missing, of course, was Christ. Although 
again, I didn't know that at right, the time. Right. Um, then I look at my dad, and my dad was always nominally Catholic, so fine, he'll go to Mass, he'll go to confession once a year. But then after the divorce, like, dad changed, like, he sort yeah. of struggled for a while, but then sort of asked the question, well, where am I going to find meaning and purpose? So, okay, he's helping raise his two kids. I have one brother. And he ended up turning to his faith a lot more, saying, well, like, I guess I was raised Catholic. Maybe there's something to this Jesus thing. So he started reading more and learning more and volunteering more and taking communion to nursing homes and things yeah. like that. And what I saw when I was a kid happen in my dad's life is he found incredible joy and fulfillment and peace in doing those things. Um, again, like this was, I was completely oblivious though. to most of this. But you're watching it. Exactly. And I think in every study they find that dad has a huge impact. And when dad is leading the faith that whether or not you know it, you're watching that. And That's it's right. And a huge impact. Interesting. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And of course we pick up everything, right? So yeah. we talk about the family as the, the school of love or that's where you're really catechized parents are the primary catechists. And it can actually be done in, in through the good things that parents do, but even through their mistakes. So that's oh, yeah. that's one thing for parents, I think. I think they can freak out about, like, am I going to make a mistake? Am I going to do, do things perfect? But, like, you teach your children through your imperfections, too. Like, God can work with that. Um, anyway. That so kind. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So when I did start to become more reflective, which, like, wasn't until college, like, okay. <laughs> even high school, yep. yeah. I wasn't whatever. Most high schoolers aren't. <laughs> that's right. So I go go to college, and I have to start asking the questions, like, what's really Where did you important go? in my life? I went to Kirkwood Community College for a year because I didn't know what I was going to do with yeah. my life. And then University of Northern Iowa, I was going to be okay. a, a history teacher. Okay. Um, so when I was there, I remember taking a philosophy class when I was there, and one of the professors said, all of the greatest people that lived in the history of the world found something not only worth living for, but something even worth dying for. Yeah. And so the question was, like, what am I willing to not only live for, but die for? And so I sort of think about at that moment, I'm also kind of going through my own encounter with Christ and the faith and that's sort of changing things. But of course, I've soaked up everything that I saw in my mom and dad for good and bad in different ways. Mm-hmm. And when I'm asking that question, I can see what my mom went through in her life. And the impact of not having Christ as a part of it, what impact that had on my mom. Then I could see my dad and the impact that Christ had on his life and how important that was, bringing peace mm-hmm. and joy. So the answer to the question of <laughs> what's worth dying for is if I can help people avoid going through the pain my mom went through by helping them encounter Christ, and if I can help help people have what my dad had, the contentment, mm-hmm. the peace, the joy – that's worth giving every day of my life. I, If I can just help people encounter Christ, that's worth wow, everything. That's phenomenal. I think so much of in the ministry that I do, I think, and this is why I think your story is so interesting and so applicable too, is mm-hmm. that I think so much young people today think that we want to share the faith with them because we have these really important rules and we're really stuffy and like we want them to be like as smart as we are. But in reality, it's like, do you want to be happy? Right. Like, let me show you the way to be happy. Right. And it sounds like your dad was like really happy. and. Yeah. You examined that. Yeah. Yeah, it was hard not to. I mean, again, I wasn't really reflecting on it at a younger age, but you just mm-hmm. soak all of that yeah. stuff up. So, I mean, it was just a huge part. Wow. The irony of the whole thing is I actually think my mom will be a saint sooner than my dad is <laughs> because my mom never gave up. I mean, she's struggled with yeah. a number of things in her life, um, whether it's the difficulties or sort of going down interesting paths or depression and anxiety, but mm-hmm. she's never given up. And that perseverance, like yes. everything clicked for my dad. Like he found joy in serving the church and, and 
finding his relationship with Christ. He's actually a religious brother now, which is really? yeah, an interesting How sort cool. of thing. Um, but everything clicked and seemed to fit into place for him. Whereas with my mom, it didn't. So, okay, great, Dad. Like, yeah. I'm glad things worked out for you. You know, go yeah. be Thanks. Jesus, whatever. But mom, it always she always struggled, but she never gave up. So that's yeah. why I think... My mom might actually be holier than my dad. I think it's worry, like, is that faith worth more when you struggled for him? Like, I just, like, right. was never smart enough to question. So, sure. like, what is my faith worth? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That's a personal problem. But right. anyways. Okay. That's a great story. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing it. No problem. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. So, you are coming on today to talk to us about the National Day of Fasting, right. which is today. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, in the context of this podcast, we're filming this today. Filming. Or we're recording <laughs> this today, but it won't come out on the, the actual day of fasting. Yeah. So can you explain a little bit about that and why you guys are doing that? Yeah, good question. So um, so any good priest just steals his material, mostly from Jesus, but Excellent. sometimes other from good from other good priests. And then second to that is Father Ricardo. That's so. right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so there was actually a student that told me about, um, she loves to listen to Father, jo- Father John Ricardo's podcast. And she had said, hey, Father John is doing a day of fasting and prayer for our country in the midst of pandemic and division and suffering. Um, and so he said, she said, can we do this too? And I'm like, sure, as long as you let me like, you know, if you help me produce it and advertise for it, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so Father John Ricardo um, has kind of called a lot of different parishes and said, hey, if anybody else wants to participate in this countrywide, um, let's do this. So the idea is... Um, so I don't know if you've noticed, but like in our country these days, it's pretty rough. Like, yeah, yeah. We're all suffering. <laughs> Not Things are there. a little hard right. right now. That's right. So it's it's understandable during a time of pandemic, during difficult situations that we would struggle. But we're not doing a great job of struggling together. We're sort of getting divided on different issues or frustrated with each other, whatever the cases might be. And so Father John Ricardo is kind of calling people together to say, hey, let's fast together. Let's struggle together. Let's pray together because we're all on the same page. Like we know the effect this is having on people. Like it's it's sort of tearing communities apart. There's increased rates of depression and anxiety as well as substance abuse, suicidal thoughts, things like that. And so he says, we don't have to struggle alone. Like we are the body of Christ. We can struggle together in unity. So let's just pray for each other. Let's struggle together. Um, so yeah, I mean, going through a pandemic is not easy. So um, that's one thing to kind of pray for and fast for, um, especially those people who are suffering, especially from fears and anxieties to fast for them, for those who are contemplating suicide because of isolation and they're struggling through that. Um, Not to mention, of course, um, we've seen the effects of uh, racism and then the division that can cause on a number of different ways. So to, to call for greater unity is huge. And we're getting close to an election, which always brings great division <laughs> among yeah. people. So Father John, Ricardo, Father John Ricardo kind of stole the idea from Abraham Lincoln, who I guess back before the Civil War called for the entire country, the United States, to do a day of prayer and fasting for unity and healing in the country, which I think is amazing. Can we, like, bring Abraham Lincoln back and make him president again? Yeah. <laughs> for unity right. and healing through fasting. Can you imagine? Yeah. Like, I know cloning's immoral, but, like... <laughs> just for Exception. a little bit. Right? Just to get it <laughs> yeah, it's been a long year. So you must be doing something correct as a pastor if one of your students is coming and asking to fast more. You know, yeah. That, that's not really something that a college student usually has right on their mind. Is kind of weird. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I would say college students are probably more open to it than most of the rest of Catholics. It seems like there's there's a zeal and there's a passion there. Like, they want to be serious about their faith. So yeah. um, 
so yeah, I think this student, I mean, she's in love with the church and she sees what's going on. And um, so, yeah, I mean, how do you do something passionately? Well, you fast or something extreme. So what is it about fasting that brings about a greater good? You know, you can't just like, well, I'm not going to eat. And then all of a sudden something good is going to happen. That's not really how it works. I feel like this is something that's very Catholic and that if you're not Catholic, that's a really strange thing to yeah. comprehend when you tell someone that they think automatically you're on a diet and they're like don't no, you need to eat right. you're like no it's not a physical thing well it is a physical thing yep. but it's more of a spiritual thing and you just get weird looks and they yeah. think you're crazy that's a really good point because yeah. i think fasting can be misunderstood or misused a lot of times yep. so one of it is <laughs> like this happens lent all the time like oh thank goodness lent's coming because i really need to lose some weight yeah yeah <laughs> like the whole point of fasting is to be selfless not yeah. selfish you know yep. in vain to and, gain you know, from your... exactly exactly one of the other things that the ways it can be misused is i think we think like okay we can fast for something and it's sort of like some sort of magic, right? Like, well, I'll Mm -hmm. fast for this 24-hour period or I'll fast for this week or I'll fast for for whatever. And then God will make happen what I want to happen. Like, I've given you this. I've suffered so much. The Lord will see that and he'll Mm -hmm. give me what I want. That's right. And so we kind of treat God as if he's a genie. Like, here's my fasting, God. Now you grant me my wish. And that's actually a Catholic problem too, right? Like novenas as well, things like that. We can kind of mistreat them. Of course, what fasting is called to do is it's called to transform our hearts, and it can transform our hearts if we do it correctly. So there's a lot of different things that happen. Okay. St. Thomas Aquinas talks about the importance of fasting in a couple different ways. One way is it helps to strengthen our will. So whenever we're trying to do something, it takes an act of the will, and quite frankly, our wills are pretty weak sometimes. Right. So to strengthen our will is an important thing. In this case, I think about in a pandemic time, Everybody needs to be sacrificing for others for the common good. Like we just have to start sacrificing our my own wants, my own desires, because there's a greater good out there than just what I want. And I think fasting is a good practice to say, if I can give this up for a day, then I can give up my own wants. I think there's something really else. practical and psychological about yeah. that too. If I can say no right here, what am I going to be able to say yes yep. to? Even if it's just like food for one day or something like that. I just think. It's an interesting psychological thing yep. that fasting helps us do so many other things better. That's right. Go on. Yeah, it's a bit of training in yeah. that way. And we need that because I think in the modern day especially, we've kind of gotten weak when it comes to sort of a- an act of the will or, or just being able to be disciplined. Um, yeah, I was anyway. talking to a friend the other day and I said she, – she was talking about, you know, I need to reward myself right. because she's trying to do some diet. And she's like, I just have like rewards when I get to sure. – I said, I can't do that because I'll go for a little bit and I'll be like, well, I did it well enough. So I can just reward myself now. Like I don't have the perseverance. It's like I really need to work on that self-discipline to actually get it to the reward. We love to make excuses for ourselves. It's like, well, I really tried my hardest. So, yes, I can reward myself by going shopping because I tried really hard. That's right. Um, One of the other elements that I think is powerful for fasting is a sense of solidarity with those who are suffering. Mm -hmm. So for the most part, a lot of us aren't. Okay, everybody's struggling with the pandemic, but some are suffering more than others, whether it's those who have contracted the virus, those who are really struggling, those who have lost a loved one, those struggling with depression and anxiety. So fasting can help us feel like as Catholics, we worship with our whole body, right? With all of our senses. So we can actually choose to feel suffering to make ourselves more aware of the sufferings of others. Like it's one thing to say, oh, I sure feel bad or I feel sorry for these people. It's another thing to actually feel what they might be going through in some way. So for Lent, it's very clear that one thing we focus on for Lent is the poor. And so 
actually willingly making ourselves hungry through fasting helps put us in solidarity to say, this sucks. Like yeah. the, being hungry, like it's one thing to say, oh, I really feel bad for them who are hungry. But if I don't experience it, it's harder to actually be empathetic. I can be sympathetic. But I, if I don't really know what it's like. Yeah. So it helps me be in greater solidarity. So same thing with okay. fasting today. When hunger comes up in my stomach, I think to myself, okay, yeah, this is sort of suffering, but there's a lot more that are suffering even more with right. difficulties or their own temptations to one thing or another. And I love the idea that also it calls to mind that you're not just a soul, you're a body too. And just right. that feeling of hunger. And right. I'm going to turn you into a, a culture critic for a second because <laughs> I've been really intrigued by the global pandemic and our response to it as humans. Because I, one of the things that I initially thought when um, things started getting really scary back in March I thought, well, this is going to really unite us. We haven't had anything. We as a generation have not had to face anything like this. Yeah. And so this is going to be really, really unifying. And I thought, I'm terrified, but like, <laughs> that's like, bring that on. But I think with the social justice issues that have come up and with the effects of racism, that it, what started out unifying yeah. um, became a source of tension that just made us angrier. And so what have you seen specifically? You're on a college campus. How have you seen your students responding to this? How do you think that a day of fasting is going to be able to help with that? Good question. Um, I was also very hopeful at the beginning of the pandemic that like this could really be something that helps us grow, forces us to sacrifice for the common good. Like this really, this is challenging, but like, especially we as Christians, we are at our best when things are bad. Yeah. Um, that's when we really shine to sacrifice, to do what's tough. Um, I will say I'm a bit disappointed. Maybe I was too much of an optimist at the beginning because mm-hmm. it, it there has been so much struggle and there is still a lot of division with a lot of different things. So I think I think that's why a day of fasting is so good is to be able to say, hey, we are all on the same page and mm-hmm. we do want the same thing to to, I mean, hopefully have an end of the pandemic in some way. But just to be able to have unity among all people, to be able to actually care about each other, um, to have healing for the hurts that have been caused in the past, we, we all need a lot of healing. So, yeah, so yeah I, I remember preaching. So the Easter homily, I'm thinking like, okay, I need to preach about Jesus's resurrection. But like we're in the middle of a pandemic. Everyone's so in like, living room. Right, exactly. Like wearing their Easter moo-moos. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was a crazy time. But I remember, I mean, preaching at that time, I was incredibly optimistic and that's what we are as an Easter people, as Christians. Like we see something bad going on, but it can bring out so much good. There is resurrection on the other side. Um, and I think that is happening. I it's think, hard to see it, yeah. though. And because that's something that I think Bishop Johnson in our diocese has been really good about. This has been difficult. What is the good that you're seeing? Yeah. And there has been so much good, but it's been through. It feels very angry and yeah. people yep. are especially angry because they're tired because yep. they're also in the midst of well and every pandemic. time you see the good then you know three more bad things happen yeah. so you're like well yeah what is gonna how, when's this going to end yeah it's been interesting on a college campus so um the college students are actually pretty good like they um <laughs> well you've probably seen on like national news things like the party scene early yeah, on like resiliency like, <laughs> oh, for goodness sake yeah. anyway it's been a very teachable moment for college students like they're human beings, so like, is their prefrontal cortex fully developed? No, they're you know <laughs> they might do stupid things. Right. But that's what I love about being on a college campus is we get to help teach them about virtues, about the common good, about these things, and they're pretty darn good actually. Like they really are open to those sorts of things. So um, 
Some interesting things I've seen lately is they've grown in their appreciation for a lot of things. I think there is just sort of a sense of, I don't know if entitlement or expectations, like this is my college life. This is my experience. I remember a student over the summer saying like, okay, this pandemic has taken my summer, but don't take my senior year. Yeah. But she had to sort of reflect on the fact that like, what is this whole thing about? Is this just about, is college just about me having fun or is there something greater here? So we had a fun conversation about like, this could be one of the greatest years of your life. Like this could turn you into the mother and wife and woman that God's calling you to be, which is way better than whatever party scene or whatever you had planned for your senior year. That is such a hard thing to grasp in college. And I would say it's, it's hard for me to grasp that now, but there is such a like, this idea of time is running out and I need to turn it into what I want it to be. Right. And I don't even know how you go about that from Yep. I was thinking about how we would have responded. We went to the same college together, mm-hmm. Alex and I did. And I was like, what would, how would we respond if this had happened while we were there? And I was like, we would probably go Poorly. insane. Yeah. Like we would not Poorly. have handled it well. That's and right. I look at my little sister and my brother who are at the same college mm-hmm. now. I'm like, they're doing a much better job. Like they are <laughs> much more controlled than I would have been at that time. Yeah. So we had a conversation with Adam's story a week ago, and I, whenever these drop, I have no idea if that'll have been shared by now or not. But we <laughs> had this conversation about called to greatness, mm-hmm. and I work with college kids all the time. But I have found, and I'm wondering if you see this in your ministry, that there's something about the college student that is coming into their own, that is trying to figure out what they want for their future, that really is able to grasp that call to greatness. I want to do something great that yeah. I, as an adult in my day-to-day work, all those things struggle doing. But I'm wondering if you're seeing that in response to what's going on in the culture right now, if they are responding in a positive way. And I think you maybe said that they were, but are you seeing that to a greater extent? Yeah, I think it's magnified that. I think before the pandemic, I think that was one of the greatest aspects of college campus ministry in general is they're coming from their family situation and they're coming into college and they have freedom for the first time, like actual yeah. freedom for the first time. And they they sort of are critical because, well, they're at that age. <laughs> and um, they're, they're good at being critical of like just the old grind and the stereotypical, like we always do things this way or just getting sort of caught in a rut or becoming complacent. They're kind of critical, whether it's of their parents or society or whatever it is. And they have such a desire not to get caught into the same old, same old or complacency or mediocrity. Mm -hmm. Like they don't want to do that. They have a desire for greatness. That's what they're striving for. The difficulty is how do they define greatness or what is what is greatness? And of course, in college, there's a number of different things that look attractive that seem like, well, this is something that would be great to do. Anyway, that's a whole whole different story. So I think they've always had that. But I think this pandemic has has kind of purified it a little bit. I was just talking to a student the other day and she was all the bars are closed down in Ames, which is kind of wild and crazy. It (laughs) makes it a very different place. But one of the one of the uh, college students, she said it's freeing for her because previously she always felt pressure to go out. Everyone else is doing it. Interesting. I want to do this, too. I have a fear of missing out on what somebody else might be doing. And she's like, this is so good because I don't have to give in to that pressure anymore. I can kind of be myself. And there's a window into college. Like it's been Learn a while new since ways how to have fun than right. just go out on Welch Avenue. Yeah, and that's right. Go to all the bars. That's yeah. right. So, so yeah, I think it's kind of purifying and, and intensifying people's understanding of why am I in college? Because it's taken away. It's stripped away a lot of those things that might have been there before. And um, they have to really ask the question, okay, what is my life all about now since it's not about these things? Yeah. 
my husband and I were talking about <laughs> being a freshman and having a mask on and how you wouldn't recognize anyone sure. that you've met before and just the different dynamic that has to be on <laughs> campus right now. But, so getting a little bit into your college ministry in general, I know we've been talking about it, but I I find the... I just find the ministry that you're doing at St. Thomas really beautiful. And so I'm wondering, um, what do you see as a freshman coming onto campus as a stumbling block hmm. for them? I, I always think about in my own ministry, I feel like um, I worry about our kids, whether or not they have the language to articulate their faith. Mm-hmm. And then when they go to college, are they going to encounter someone who can articulate what they believe better? And then how long do they believe what they believe? If they There's a poverty of language. Yeah. Do you see that? Yes. What a question. Like, how long is this podcast? This is ridiculous. It's I not, think about that all the it's time. Because I have a week with them in the summer. I'm like, I got to get the word sacrament in your vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. It's efficacious. Right. It about what it <laughs> signifies. So, so it's interesting to think about campus ministry. The question of stumbling block is a really yeah. good question. So, um, So I'll tell you one fear I go through every single fall as students are coming in. So freshmen are coming in, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, X amount of Catholics that are going to be on campus and they're going from home and they're here. So like we have like that first week or two to make contact with them, to let them know where we are, to invite them to mass, to get them to come to our new student retreat and to plug them in. If we don't do that in two weeks, their laziness will kick in. They'll get involved in some other group. They'll find other friends which aren't good for them. They're going to go party on campus town. And if that happens, they're going to be lost forever and their souls are going to be damned for all eternity. And it's all my fault because I didn't get to convincing enough in those two weeks. So that's stressful. So it's like we have two weeks to do this. Yeah. And of course, it's a lie, right? Yeah. It's a complete and total lie. So stumbling blocks that are there. I think laziness actually is one of the stumbling blocks is that you, you go into college and like you'll sort of do whatever's easiest or whatever's free or whatever. And so we kind of try to tap into that. But it's it's really hard to it's really hard to encourage them to really be passionate about something when um yeah, they're not they don't know kind of where they're at yet. It's mm-hmm. overwhelming. There's so many different voices out there and they don't know which ones to listen to. So the tendency is just to be like, "Whoa, you know, hold on." Um so yeah, <laughs> one thing one thing I think about is let's use their laziness to our advantage. Like let's get them signed up for stuff before they get here so that like the lazy thing would be to not like not sign up. Exactly. Yeah. So like if they're if they're already there then it's like, well, I guess I'll do it anyway because I'm signed up for it. Anyway. Um, no, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I think one one thing I could see you struggling with is everyone's coming in at a different level. Yeah. So you really have to learn how much kids know and yeah. what you have to do. Yeah. For example, um, I I thought I was at the same level as some of my high school friends mm-hmm. until we went to college, and then I realized, oh, we're at very different <laughs> levels of our understanding of our Catholic faith. Because yeah. um, I went to visit a friend at her school, and it was a Thursday, and she said, oh, do you want to go to church? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to go to church. And she goes, Thursday night church is great because if you can't make it on Sunday, you can just go on Thursday. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, um, yeah, cool, cool. Let's talk about that for yeah, a second. You know, yeah. So you kind of, as a priest, you have to realize like all these people are coming in with a very different understanding of what Catholicism is. That's right. And you have to adapt very quickly. Most definitely. And I, I think, yeah, they might come in – 
with different ideas just based on different situations. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, they, they, they're still being formed. They just don't know yet. Like they, since they're in a family, they kind of do what their parents sort of tell them to do or guide them to do. And, mm-hmm. and whether they're rebelling against that or not, it's still more or less their parents' choice. And now they have the freedom to make their own choice, which is kind of a wild, a wild thing. Mm-hmm. One thing I love about all college, I mean, the Catholic college students, any college students, they're all extremely authentic and they're all very hungry for greatness, for meaning, yeah. for purpose, for fulfillment. And they're all looking for it in different areas. Right. And so that's one thing in campus ministry that's pretty great is we can show them what your heart really longs for. Like yeah. as St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. But in college, of course, you're trying out every single thing that looks attractive to try to fill your heart. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of it, you find emptiness, you find pain, you find whatever until you find Christ and then your heart finds rest. So, so yeah, it's a challenge to sort of, but I appreciate their authenticity. Everyone's open to hearing. Everyone's kind of open to, to what's going on. But the challenge is in a lot of ways having that language, like what are they coming from? What are they seeking? Mm -hmm. Do they even know what they're seeking? Yeah. Like sometimes I want to go out on campus and be like, hey, you're all suffering and you're all hungry. Like Jesus yeah. is the answer I to your problems. Follow you. me. Like, <laughs> like, this is the problem. <laughs> I think of even just like the overwhelming, like how overwhelming it has to be on campus. I remember I, I said I've been to Eames once, but I went to, it was like an outdoor concert experience. Sure. Yep. But I didn't know where I was going. And so I pulled up in front of a sorority house and I was like, they look like they're having a great time. And I almost walked in because I thought that's where the concert was. <laughs> and then I thought, well, they were having such a great time. There's so many options. Yeah. I can't even imagine getting someone to come to your event. And in when college, there's something right. everywhere. You're so hungry in college for, for, for belonging, for friends, for like affirmation. That's the other, like as human beings, of course, that's, we hunger for those things. You're willing to do anything if somebody affirms you or if somebody's going to be your friend or if you feel whatever. So that's, there are a lot of different options out there where you can try to find things, some more fulfilling than others. So, yeah. So do you think it is harder to convince someone to keep coming to mass or to convince them to come to mass for the first time as a college student? Good question. That's if they're on the fence, you know, if they're like kind of a cafeteria Catholic, they just... I think it's more difficult to convince them to keep coming and especially for the right reasons. And this is, I mean, this was my story in college. Like I went, I started going to church because I was starving for friends and there's like, hey, there's people there. And like, I went there for the social aspect so much. Like I wasn't going for Jesus that much. And of course, community is a big part of our faith and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. but... Man, I was missing out on the depth of what our faith is really all about. So, so to get people to keep coming, like that community is an important thing, but then to help them encounter Christ and fall in love with Christ, that's really hard. Yeah. I mean, that's really hard. You can create a conducive atmosphere for it, but you can't force it. Yeah. You can't force it. So I think it. it would be hard to convince someone to go to a Catholic mass mm-hmm. other than maybe a Protestant one where you're allowed to bring your coffee in. Right. You're just singing praise and worship <laughs> yep. music, having a yep. great time. They tell yep. you Jesus loves you, and then you go home. That's right. Like I think, you know, said you have to sit in the pew. You have to kneel, stand, That's sit, right. kneel, stand, sit. But I do sit. think that when it comes to Mass, there's an obvious 
and I think college students see this, like, again, the call to greatness, like this is different yeah. than everything else and that's what right. is yeah. it about it? Yeah, it's true. There's not, there's not much that's sexy about Catholic mass, right? <laughs> like nobody's like, other than the oh, fact that, that it seems like you're in a different world. Right. Like, that's true. Other than that. But yes, just last night I was doing marriage prep with a couple at a park just outside in, in Ames. And there was another campus ministry in town that was doing like a concert in the park. So there's all these young people and they got big like signs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, great. It's a rock concert. Like that. I was like, like, man, that's attractive. That's something yeah. that college students would go to. Like, we don't have that. I mean, we have a couple events that are a little bit more. They are concert-like. Mm-hmm. But the mass is not that. So if you're going to invite somebody there, the greatest invitation is just an authentic – when somebody else sees somebody who's inviting them to mass and they say, mm-hmm. this person has something, yeah. something different, and whatever it is, I want that, that's a powerful thing. It's like, okay, they've got something. Part of yeah. that must be from their faith and what they're doing. Um it's more of the inner inner energy rather than the external energy That's right. that people see in the Catholic Mass. And a lot of the a lot of the college students are able to to call bull on the the frivolous stuff. Like the concerts yep. are fun and they love it and they'll do that, but they also know that it's fairly surface level and they're hungry for more. Mm-hmm. There's just like an a, a I think our young people have just like an antenna for BS that yeah. they just better than anyone that I know that age group can just call out and and not have time for, which I appreciate. Yeah. I think even more so because they see so much, you know, on the internet. Now we have to decipher what's true and what's not all the time. That's right. And so when they see something like, yeah, that's not true. It's amazing how many converts we'll have college students or those right after college that will come and they want to be Catholic because they're hungry for more. And they've sort of seen, so we've got a guy right now, He's studying religious studies actually at Iowa State, which is unique. Awesome. But he, he comes from a few different backgrounds. But one of the things that drew him to the Catholic Church was the sacredness, um, the tradition, the sort of authority going back thousands of years. And first I was like, who are you? But he's like, nobody else has that. Like right. they have these other things. Um, and there was a guy that joined the church a couple, uh, about a year and a half ago or so. But he was heavily involved with one of the more charismatic. Um, uh, it's not really an evangelical church, but they do a lot of great exciting worship things. Mm-hmm. He was in leadership there for a long time. And he said what attracted him to the Catholic Church is how boring the homilies were, nice. how bad the music was. That. Because he's like, this isn't about the music. It's not about some some gifted, charismatic speaker. You can have a lame priest up there giving a terrible homily. But it's not about that. It's about Christ. It's about the sacraments, it's about the Eucharist, yeah. what Jesus did. And this is why, okay, so to shift here, I think there's something really interesting going on with young people in the church right now that... I think in the last 10 years, we've seen a shift of looking at churches like the Lutheran Church of Hope and saying, like, what are they doing and what is something that we can replicate? Mm-hmm. And what I'm seeing is all my friends becoming Latin masters. <laughs> <laughs> right. And right. I'm just, I, I'm so, I, you know, I Catholic Youth Camp, we have praise and worship and things mm-hmm. like that. But there's something really intriguing about, like, going back to, like, a mass that yeah. we don't even understand yeah. because we crave just good liturgy because it's all about Jesus and Eucharist. That's right. And I find that fascinating. Yeah. It is pretty amazing to see. Well, okay. So it's very easy to be inauthentic, right? Like, okay, we want numbers like those other churches. So let's just replicate what they're doing. It's like, how about we just be Catholic, right? Mm -hmm. Like the reverence and the sacredness is a part of who we are. And that is attractive to people. Mm -hmm. That's and it should you be. walk into a beautiful building filled with incense and you'd be like, what is going on? <laughs> I need to know more. So you just stay and then you keep coming back. Yeah. So one of the, I think, most difficult transitions that I've ever had in my life was going from, we went to Benedictine and 
what I always say about that is I had just a beautiful, beautiful experience of my faith in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I was an adoration junkie because I couldn't go anywhere on campus where adoration wasn't. And mm-hmm. so like, how much credit do I really get for that? <laughs> but going- well, And you're taking theology classes and philosophy right. classes and you're just surrounded all the time by good Catholic thought. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And it was just a firm foundation, which I think is probably what you're doing with the, the young Catholics. I'm, in fact, I know that's what you're doing with the young sure. Catholics there. I have so many of the kids that, the young people that you work with <laughs> that come and work at my camp and they're just on fire. The transition outside of college into yeah. just day-to-day grind mm-hmm. and having a faith life that I was proud of then was really, really difficult. Yeah. And so how are you bracing your seniors for going out and, and living and being in the world? Yeah, good question. So the relationship to Christ is the huge thing. So we do a lot of things different in a college campus ministry that your normal parish, just different than what a normal parish would do. And if that's the college student's experience, like they're in college doing this sort of campus ministry thing, and then they go to a parish and they're like, wait, this is totally different than my experience of Catholicism in college. We're doing an incredible disservice for those students. We are setting them up for failure. We're mm-hmm. basically like, hey, here, here, here you are in this mountaintop experience. Now we're going to drop you off a cliff and you have mm-hmm. no wings. Yeah. So what we have to do is we have to give them those wings, right? Um, John Paul II spoke about faith and reason being like two wings upon which we can rise to the contemplation of truth. So that's one thing when we look at students like developing their faith, there has to be something deeper than, um, I mean, even just retreats or praise and worship opportunities or whatever the case might be. We have to give them a relationship with Christ where they are desiring the sacraments, where it's uh, impacting their lives, where they can find things where they're mission oriented, right? So there's a shift that happens in a student's life. They come in and they're seeking, they're searching for something and we can help them encounter Christ and give them opportunities for that. But they have to turn the corner of discipleship where they're getting hungry of going out to encounter other people, of evangelizing, of being a part of the mission of the church. So that when they do go to whatever parish they're in, they're not going to sit there and say, I need to be fed. You need to feed me. But instead saying, how can I help? I want to help feed others, whether it's Mm -hmm. this family that's struggling or these people that don't know Jesus or whatever the case might be. So, so it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a process of bringing in those freshmen um, and kind of feeding them. But then we just sort of kick them, kick them out and say, no, you, now you have to feed yourself and we expect you to feed others and we give you the freedom to do that. And we give them the freedom to mess up too. And they Mm -hmm. do. And I'm so proud because they try and they screw up and then they, they figure it out. But they're already, they're already doing what they should be doing in parishes in the future is saying, how can I be outward focused, mission focused? When I was in college, it was all about me, right? Like I, I was looking to be fed. Anything mm-hmm. that I did was all about me. Oh, I think yeah. that's most college students' mm-hmm. ideas. Yep. Yep. And so we're trying to help form them to say, no, the greater piece of who we are is to make our lives about others. How can you go serve others? And um yeah, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, it's tough. I also think part of it is that I have, you know, I'm, I'm a product of the culture and we're millennials. And I think that one of the things that I didn't recognize that I needed was I was a parish that I could be a part of. Yeah. Um, rather than just going to the mass times that worked sure. for me and things like that. But I think that's something that in general people my age struggle to be convinced that they need to register at a parish and have yeah. consistent parish life. Yeah. Well, because you want to find where you fit in the best, but I think one thing that you you should do is learn how to fit in with the others around you and kind of be a Catholic in the community that you are in, yeah. not just keep searching for a community that fits all your boxes. 
That's a really good point because we love doing that, right? Yeah. Like, again, we can make our faith all about me. Um, and when we make that turn to sort of recognizing, like, I am called to the mission of Christ. And once that fire is lit, like, beautiful things can happen. And you can go anywhere. It doesn't matter where you're at. Like, you fit in because there are sacraments. You fit in because Christ is here. You fit in because... Even if the person to your left doesn't believe exactly what you believe, you fit in because there's sacraments. Exactly. Sacrament. Yeah. Exactly. That's something yeah. I'm having to wrap my brain around. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the beauty of it. I mean, look at the apostles. I mean, they were pretty radically different in yeah. terms of how they lived or where they came from or even what they thought. I mean, they sort of had arguments in the early stages oh, yeah. of figuring out circumcision and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, what do they have to like dispute? I I get it. All right, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, it's pretty. One of my professors, so I studied some uh, religion and philosophy when I was in undergrad at UNI too, and one of my professors said uh, Protestants just disagreed and broke off into different churches. Mm-hmm. Catholics disagreed and just broke off into different spiritualities, but they stayed united. They were still all Catholic but they sort of had either different spiritualities or different focuses and stuff. But he had great respect. He himself wasn't Catholic, yeah. but he said, you Catholics are on to something that you can sit next to somebody that thinks differently. Um, yeah. That has a different passion that has a different spirituality and still say we're united in the same Christ, even though our spiritualities might be radically different. Sometimes. Yeah, the exact same thing. Yeah. It's sometimes. not a very 2020 thought there. It's, yeah, it's true. <laughs> That's why we're friends. Our spiritualities are different, but you know, <laughs> Maddie's trying to convince me to go to Latin mass. <laughs> so if we could just handle that right now, that'd be great. <laughs> I've had like, I've like dug my heels in because I, because you're because so... I keep pushing and pushing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we'll figure it out. You're right. a tratty at um, heart, Alex. What's one it. piece of advice you would give parents sending their kids off to college? Hmm. Don't be afraid to invite. Um, yeah, don't be afraid to invite. So to be bold in your invitation, but you can't impose. Like they have their freedom. You have to respect their freedom. So be bold in the invitation, but humble in your expectations. I guess that would be the big thing. Um, you have to explain that. Because you don't want to sure. get dis- you don't want your the parents to be disappointed. Is that yeah, two there are two there are two extremes that I sort of see being problematic. One is that parents say, well, I don't really have any control over what they're going to do. So I'm not, I'm just going to trust their, their judgment and do whatever. And it's like, okay, great. But like guide them, invite them, like be bold in your invitation to be like, Hey, you know, here's this mass. Hey, here's this thing. Hey, you can get involved in this, find good friends. So to be bold in that invitation, but invitation is exactly that. Like you, you leave the choice up to the other person. So one extreme is they don't do anything because they just feel like it's out of their hands. The other extreme is they try to do everything for them. So they sign them up for things, which is fine. I mean, you can do that parents too, can parents. can sign their kids up for things in college. Yeah. <laughs> that was an option. It's kind Sounds of wild. terrible. Right. <laughs> um, and then they'll call in. I mean, of, of course, they'll call their, their children, but then they'll call professors. They'll call us as campus ministers and different things. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. And at some, point, oh my gosh. at some point, the level of love, and my hats go off to parents that to love your children enough to trust them to trust them to even make mistakes, to trust them to not make the right decision, but to learn from it and to grow from it. That's a level of love that is mysterious and beautiful and really mm-hmm. divine, right? That's God yeah. gave us free will and trusts us. He knows he's making himself vulnerable because we can reject him. We can hurt him. 
So as parents, you can model the love of God, the Heavenly Father, by saying, I trust you enough and I'm going to make myself vulnerable. You might make the wrong choice, but I'm going to trust you. I'm never going to stop loving you. And I'm going to trust you that even if you do make a mistake, you can learn from it. Okay. So two extremes. Um, (laughs) One is not making any invitation because you're just hopeless. You don't think you have any impact. The other is like trying to structure everything. So in the middle there is being bold enough to invite and to guide, but humble enough and loving enough to allow them freedom to make the choices that they make. And yeah. Boom. I think that's a perfect way to end this. Yeah. (laughs) That's really beautiful. Father, thank you so much for coming on. And I hope you have just a great year, even in all the craziness about Iowa State and get lots of converts and lots of people in your churches. It's been great so far. I was talking to our RCA coordinator and um, she's overwhelmed. She's like, stop sending me people. She didn't really say (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah. So it's pretty great. Seriously. Thanks for the hard work you're doing over there. I really Mm -hmm. see through my job, the fruits of what you're doing. I, I hire the people that you work with because they're on fire for their faith. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> My, the young people in our diocese are benefiting because of what you're doing. Yeah, thanks be to God. Yeah. Well, we would love to have you all join in our conversation on our podcast. If you have any topics you would like us to address, guests you would love to hear from, or general questions and ideas, please email friendsromansioans at gmail.com. Also, if you could subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play and leave us a review, we would love to hear from you. Thanks, guys.